Well, good morning again, church. Hey, I'm Andrew, the lead pastor here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. And can I just tell you something right out the gate? Jesus is coming back. I know that it's Christmas time, and typically this time of year, we look at his first coming as the baby in the manger. But see, the follower of Jesus also looks forward to his second coming and the fact that Jesus is coming again. So we look forward to the fact that he's coming and that he is coming again. We call this season Advent, and it simply means arrival or it means coming. And so many churches look at what it meant for the Messiah to come as they waited for him to come to bring salvation to the world. And we do look back at this 2,000-year-old event, and we look at what it means for us today. But see, the follower of Jesus also knows that it's true, that yes, the first advent was waiting on the Messiah, but we also anticipate a second advent at the arrival of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and he's coming again soon. So during this Advent season, we talk about how the people of God waited on the Messiah to come, and how really was the world waiting on this opportunity of salvation. But now with this second Advent, we are waiting for Jesus to come back. But you want to know something else, church? I hate waiting. In fact, just the other day, that little light came on on my refrigerator at home saying it was time to replace the water filter. And I went to order a brand new water filter on Amazon, and it gave you that option at the end. Have you ever seen this before? It gives you that option at the end where you can choose the four to five day shipping as opposed to the one to two day shipping, and they will give you a $1.50 digital credit if you decided to wait. And for a moment, I thought, you know what? I could, I could get some free money. $1.50, I get a book I've been looking for. I can maybe rent a movie our family wants to see. But after looking at that and thinking I have to wait an additional three or four days, you want to know what I did? I said, nah, I want this thing right now because I hate waiting. But did you know that in God's economy, waiting is a gift? Because it's in the waiting that God shows up and he shows off who he is. It's in the waiting that he shows us that he is a provider. It's even in the waiting that we see if we have a faith that as it's tested, we see that we have a faith that can be trusted. Because even in the waiting, God is still working. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, whether digital or analog, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And here in 1 Peter chapter 1, man, we're going to see and be reminded that Peter was this disciple of Christ. In fact, some would even say during the first century that he was the main disciple, the leader of the disciples. In fact, if you read throughout the Gospels, you'll see Peter's name listed first every time all of the apostles or disciples are listed. But see, even though Peter was probably the first among the brothers, first among the leaders of the church, we would see so many times that during his life, Peter would actually jump out in front of Christ instead of waiting we would see that sometimes Peter would even move away from Christ instead of waiting to see what Jesus was going to do. But what we're also going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 1, that God grew him while he was waiting. See, the church that Peter was also writing to, they were under this intense persecution. In fact, they were waiting for relief. And sometimes they were even waiting to see if brothers or sisters would return home because they were either being killed or thrown into jail. 
but it was in their waiting, as they're waiting for Jesus to come back, as they're waiting for relief from the persecution, that God would actually grow them. It would be in this season that God would refine some things in them and remind them of who they are, but even more importantly, remind them of who the Lord is. Church right now, are you waiting? And what is it you're waiting on? Are you waiting for interest rates to come down right now? At least one person is. Come on, are you students in a room, are you waiting right now for this this semester to finally end to see what grade you're going to get? Because you've been living on a prayer this semester, wanting to know what you're going to get in that class. Come on, kids in the room, are you waiting? Are you waiting to see all the hints that you've been dropping to your parents? All the lists, the things you've been telling that you want? Are you waiting to see if you're going to actually get what you want under that Christmas tree? Are you waiting to see if the relationship is actually going to go anywhere? Are you waiting to see if your contract is going to be renewed? Are you waiting right now to see what the doctor is going to say after the test results have come back again? If you're waiting right now, God is working. And it's in this waiting that he wants to work on you. People waited for the first time for the Messiah to come. But in that waiting, God still brought hope. And in fact, with the second coming of Christ, it's even in the waiting for his return that he is still bringing hope. In fact, would you help me this morning announce my sermon title to the person sitting next to you? Would you turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them that hope is coming? Now turn to the person who was your second choice and tell them, look, hope is here. Church, it's in the waiting that God brings hope. But see, it's not this wishy-washy, Charlie Brown Christmas tree type of hope. It's the type of hope that is rooted and built in something so much stronger, so much more powerful than anything that we could have even made by our own design. It's the type of hope that anchors us in every single season. In fact, it's the type of hope that in this waiting, you can hold on to. But it's a type of hope that even as you're waiting, you know that you are going to make it through. So if you're waiting right now, hope is coming and hope is here. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read this entire passage. I'm going to take a moment and pray. And then I'm going to share with you three things that Jesus is coming and coming again. Three ways that his coming and coming again brings hope to us right now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let's pray together. Father God, that is so good, even just all by itself, Lord. Your word is good. And I pray, God, this morning that whatever it is that we walked in here with, God, I pray that we will be reminded this morning that our hope is not in ourselves. It's in you. I pray, God, today that you will give us that hope again. Lord, it is here. It is coming again. Lord, you are going to come again. It is guaranteed based on your word. But in the waiting, God, would you give us what we need? Would you remind us of this hope that is anchored in Christ? This hope that rests in you. This hope that isn't wishy-washy or something that we just make up. It isn't just a concept, Lord. It is real. It is concrete because of Christ. Remind us today, Lord, of who you are. But because of that, who we are as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you're taking note and if you're waiting today, it's in Jesus' coming and coming again that brings hope. And the first thing that we see in this passage that is coming and coming again, the first type of hope that it brings, it's a hope that brings a sober mind. It's a hope that brings a sober mind. Now look again what Peter writes in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just a couple of notes just right here on this particular verse. Uh, First, look back at the very first part of verse 13. Notice that Peter starts off this section right here with the word, therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore in scripture, if you jump into a passage, if someone's teaching on it on Sunday morning, it is always good to know what that therefore is. Therefore, some of you guys have heard that before. And so it's good to know what that therefore is there for. So jump back up to verse three in 1 Peter chapter one. And listen how Peter begins this letter to this church that was under this heavy persecution, waiting for relief, waiting for Jesus to return. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope. And again, even right there, look, Peter's reminding us that this isn't some just hope that we're just hoping something is going to happen. But this is a living hope based on Christ. In fact, the type of hope that the Bible is talking about right there is based on what God has already done. It's a type of hope where you look back and you see the faithfulness of God. It's a type of hope that even though you're being persecuted, even though you're in a season of even despair, even though you're in a season where you don't know what's going to happen, it's a type of hope where you say, look, I'm going to trust that the Lord will get me through just like he did before. Again, it's not a hope rooted in culture. It's a hope rooted in Christ. And he says, this is a living hope that we have. He says that we've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven 
for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That, therefore, that we just read back in verse 13 points back to this living hope that Peter is talking about. And he's writing to this letter, this letter to this church. Again, they're under this intense persecution. They're suffering greatly, waiting for relief. And Peter says that you are being grieved by various trials and suffering. And he says, look, you're, this is only going to be this way. This is only going to be this way for a little while. Again, church, can I be honest with you this Sunday after Thanksgiving? Sometimes when I read phrases like this in the Bible where Peter says, look, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved. Sometimes when I read stuff like that in Scripture, you want to know something? I don't like it. Because I believe with every single fiber of my being that God's word is true. But that phrase right there, if necessary, means that it might just be necessary for you to go through a season of suffering or trials where you are going to be grieved. And I don't like phrases like that where it says that you just might go through that. And Peter says, look, it might be necessary. Then he adds with that, he says, look, for a little while. And it's a reminder, look, that suffering and trials really are just for a season. That you may go through some difficulties for a season, but he's saying, look, it will not be forever. But doesn't it sometimes seem like it is going to be forever? Sometimes we can get stuck in something, a season, and we can be looking and seeing, you know what, it's always been this way. We can think, you know what, it's always been that way. It's the way it's been right now, and that's the way it's going to be forever. And we can get stuck in this mindset where our minds can literally grow tired and weary and give up hope. And again, not see it as a reality, but rather a concept. That's why one of the reasons that Peter says back in verse 13, he says, therefore, in light of this living hope, in light of this living hope that Jesus Christ is coming back, that's who we're waiting on. In light of this great inheritance that you are going to receive that is undefiled and incorruptible that no one can take away from you. In light of this great inheritance that you are going to get once you leave here on earth, once Jesus returns, he says, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that you've been given. You know, we're in a time right now where the enemy really does want to overwhelm your mind with information and disinformation literally to wear down your thinking. In fact, never in our existence have we had so much information that has been flowing at us, that we have to process and analyze, and that we have to try to do something with. And most of that information is either bad, negative, or sinful. In fact, our culture right now is literally working to exhaust your grasp on hope. Peter says, be sober-minded. But, you know, we are typically minded in other ways, aren't we? In fact, this is how we're typically minded. Oftentimes, we're, our minds are focused on anger, depression, guilt or shame, loneliness, sadness, anxiety, or fear. 
You know, I've said it before, and I, I want to say it again today, that when it comes to who we are as a church right here as Coastal, look, we are for mental health. We are for you getting like, the mental health that you actually need. It's one of the reasons why on staff at this church, we have a full-time professional biblical counselor that if you're a member of this church, it is, that counselor is available to you for free to be able to help you get mentally healthy. We give that to any one of our members. And it's the reason why we tell you oftentimes too as well, look, we know that there are actual chemical imbalances. We know that people really do need help from a counselor. So we're not even opposed to even treating some mental health issues with medication as well. But man, we want you to know that even in that, that mental health battle is also a spiritual battle as well. Don't forget that it's not just mentally, it is spiritually. In fact, it's kind of like what the Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where he says, look, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And what he's saying that as you think about your mental health right now, as you think about your mental spiritual condition, look, there are arguments. There is information that's coming against the knowledge of God. And he says, look, we destroy those arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Some other translations even say, look, we take those thoughts and we make them obedient to Christ. During our James series, we talked about this verse and we talked about how Christian counselor Jenny Allen actually said that you can put this verse into practice by asking three questions to help you to put in some good mental habits that'll help you put this into practice, taking your thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ that you ask these three questions. The first one is, what is the lie? Which is, what is the lie that I might be believing right now? Am I believing a lie that maybe has even been passed down from generation to generation in my family? A lie that's prevalent in culture. What is the lie I might be believing right now? But she also says to help make these truths, make our thoughts captive to Christ. We need to ask the question, look, what is the truth? Look, if we've been believing a lie, then God's word has some truth that we need to replace that lie with. And we need to believe the truth. But then also to ask the question, look, what's the choice? We always have a choice. Even if, you, even if man, that lie was taught by your, your grandma, your grandpa, your great, great, great grandma, every generation before you, if it's something that God's word says the opposite, even right now, you have a choice. You don't have to believe the lie, but instead you can choose to believe the truth. So right now, I mean, are you, are you really feeling anxious right now because you really do have zero options? Are you feeling lonely right now because you really have no one in your life? There really is no one else going through what it is you're going through. Are you believing a lie? Are you believing a lie that you're really all alone? Or the truth is that you have a church family that wants to help you and support you? And maybe right now you need to choose to lean more into community and into relationship and stop thinking about all the relationships you don't have, but focus on the ones that you do have. Are you feeling fearful right now because what you're facing really could end you? Is it true that God doesn't care about you? Is it true that he's abandoned you, that he doesn't want to have anything to do with you? Or is the truth is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
is the truth that even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you and he's going to lead you through. What's the truth? What's the lie? And then what's the choice? Peter says, look, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at this revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, being sober-minded is just a reminder, look, that we need to be self-controlled. We don't let anything else or anyone else control us more than Christ and his word. We prepare our minds for the right actions through this grace that has been given Man, there is a hope. This is a hope that brings a sober mind. But see, this hope that Jesus gives is also a hope that brings a heart to submission. This hope is Jesus' original coming, and it also is coming again. Man, this brings a hope that brings our hearts to submission. Look again what Peter says in verse 14. Look, he says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, there's two quick things about this section of the passage here. Uh, The first thing is, look, Peter is saying, look, you are to be obedient children. He uses this phrase, obedient children. I know this time of year, you're probably going to start to hear some Christmas songs where it starts talking about how we are all God's children, therefore we should get along. We're all God's children, therefore there should be peace on earth. But that phrase, we are all God's children, is not entirely true. In fact, did you know that everyone is made by God, but not everyone is a child of God? Yes, you've been made by God. Look, you are not the result of some sort of cosmic collisions or a bunch of random events that eventually led to your life. But instead, you were created on purpose for a purpose. You have been made by God. But not everyone made by God is a child of God. For you to become a child of God, you have to trust Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Christ. In fact, the apostle John, who was one of uh, the, the also disciples of Christ, friend of Peter, he says this in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, but to all who did receive him, all who did trust in Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Every believer, every believer has been adopted into the family of God. Everyone who, has been, everyone who has trusted Christ has been brought into his family. And church, when I say everyone, I mean everyone. Man, this is why the family of God, his church that he's building is so beautiful. It is this multi-ethnic, multi-generational group of people from every single background, every single status that are part of the family of God. In fact, in Christ's family, we may look different. We may have different backgrounds. And whether you're super old like Pastor Brian or super young like me, no matter what background you're from, no matter what race you are, if you have trusted Christ, you are part of the family of God. In fact, all that, di- all that division and disunity that the enemy is trying to push onto the world right now, it is pushed back by the family of God. 
When you trust in him, man, we are multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational across every age and stage, every status. This is these children of God that Peter is talking about. But see, Peter also adds something else. Look, if you trusted Christ, yes, you are a part of the family of God, but you are also called to be an obedient child of God. Now, I don't think I need to explain like what the word obedient means, but I will just in case we're all on the same page. Obedient simply means to obey and to submit yourself to an authority. It means to obey and to submit yourself to an authority. Can I say if you are a child in this room, unless your parents are asking you to sin, you need to submit and obey your parents. Parents, I thought you would have backed me up on that. An applause, standing ovation, and amen, something. Thank you. My gosh. Unless your parents are asking you to sin, I would challenge you to, to submit your lives to them to submit your will to them, to choose to obey them, even when it doesn't make any sense. Um, My parents are actually here today sitting in the front row. And I will admit to you that when we were kids, there were some rules and some guidelines that they gave us that I thought, no offense guys, was a little bit crazy. In fact, church, I've I've told you before that the neighborhood that we grew up in um, started out great. In fact, my dad was even telling me just the other day that, man, they had saved up. They had worked hard, multiple jobs, trying to get their very first home after they immigrated from Jamaica to Palm Beach County, Florida. And so they bought a fixer-upper in this neighborhood. And as they were trying to make that home better, the neighborhood itself didn't get any better. In fact, it started to go the opposite direction. I told you before that there were times when um, uh, there was increased gang violence happening in the neighborhood, some drug deals that were going on. And at times, someone got shot in our driveway. Bullets had come through our window before. And I remember during that time, my parents would tell us, look, you guys, we're not going to have you play at the park that was literally across the street. Um, We don't want you going over to anyone else's houses whatsoever. No sleepovers, no hanging out. And in fact, there was a season where we rode the school bus too. We had to make sure we got right off that bus and we had to come straight home. We played in the backyard not in the front yard. In fact, we didn't know any other kids in the neighborhood because we were supposed to come right home and be protected in our home. I remember thinking during that time, man, some of this stuff seems kind of crazy. Like, why can't we just go to the park across the street and play in that park? And I didn't notice until later. It was was shortly after that, um, my parents again worked hard, got us out of that neighborhood. We ended up moving to a different neighborhood. Then after I graduated from high school, it was a few years after that, my brother and I were going to a McDonald's or a Burger King. Don't judge me, okay? We were going to McDonald's or Burger King to get some type of meal there. And then while we were there, the person was working the cash register that day. He said to us, he's like, aren't you guys those Segree boys? No idea who the person was. And I said, yeah, yeah, we're we're the Segree boys or whatever. And the person said, look, we actually grew up on that same street. And the person said, look, I always thought, look, your family was a bit weird, okay? You guys never hung out with us. Um, No, you never came to the park. You never did any of those things. But he's saying now, like he said to us, I'll never forget this. He said, I wish, he said, I wish I would have had parents like yours that kept us away from some of the mess that was happening in our neighborhood." And church, I didn't realize it then, but it was in submitting to them that I was actually getting protection. 
is submitting to them that I actually realized that, you know what, they weren't trying to hurt me. They were only trying to help me. Look, Peter is saying here, we are to be obedient children, which means that we need to trust the Lord even when it doesn't make any sense. Even if what he's telling us is a complete opposite of what culture has said, we need to trust the Lord and submit our lives to him. Church, submission brings protection. Submission brings satisfaction. Because of our hope in Christ, we can submit everything that we have to his will, his ways, everything that he wants to do in us and through us, we need to submit to him. So what is it right now that you're still not submitting to the Lord? What is it right now that you need to submit to him? I'll tell you, I think some of you right now, like what you need to submit right now is your phone. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, you know, social media necessarily, but some of you, like what you need to submit right now in, in your phone, you need to delete a contact that's been in your phone. You need to delete that contact. You need to block that person on social media. That person has been causing you to go back to your former life of ignorance, like what Peter talks about. That person has a toxic relationship. You need to hit delete. You need to hit block. And you need to submit even that to the Lord. For some of you right now, what you need to submit is your finances. You said, God, have all of me, everything that I am. But when it comes to this call of really setting apart everything for the Lord, being holy as he is holy, when it comes to your finances, you're still holding on to that. But even in that, Man, God wants to give you a heart of generosity that breaks a heart of greed. For some of you right now, what you need to submit is your identity. Again, you've trusted Christ. You know that he's the Lord and leader of your life. But right now, you're still believing a lie. You're still believing that it is your sin that defines you. You're still believing the hurt that someone else caused to you is now who you are, but that's not who you are. You are loved, you are called. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. He's changed who you are. In fact, you are a new creation in Christ. That is who you are. And it's time for you to stop letting your sin define you or culture define you, but instead to let Jesus be the one to define you, submit even your identity to him. And for the person yet who hasn't yet trusted Jesus as Lord, man, you've been, you're going to submit your life to something else or someone else. So why not submit your life to the one who made you, who has a purpose and a plan for you? Look, church, it's in this submission to this living hope that we know that we can indeed get every single thing that we need. It really is in Christ, even when it doesn't make any sense. We need to be obedient children who submit everything to him. But one more thing, Jesus is coming and coming again. It brings hope, and this is a hope that is secure. It brings a hope that is secure. Listen to what Peter says again in verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, look, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And really foreknown here is just a reminder that God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. 
but he still made them anyway. But even as he made them, he had a plan that he would redeem the world to provide forgiveness through Christ one day. And then he says, look, in verse 21, he says, look, look, who through him, through Jesus, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave them glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Look at that verse 21 again. Twice in that passage, in that short verse, Peter says, look, in God, your faith is in God, your hope is in God, the salvation that you have, this belief that you have, it is in God. It is a reminder that our faith, again, is not based on anything that we have done. It's not even based on what I have done or what this church has done. It is only based in God. It is based in Christ. You know, I love the fact that through the Holy Spirit, we have the Bible And I love the fact that through the Holy Spirit, as the New Testament is being written, it doesn't sugarcoat all the times that people messed up. In fact, even Peter, Peter, who will be one of the main leaders of the church, Peter, if you read the Gospels, was oftentimes listed first, always listed first amongst all the other disciples in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. I love the fact that even with that, like the Bible doesn't cover up the times that Peter would mess up. In fact, even with all that clout, all of that respect that he had, all of that fame that he had, like people well knew him, like it still shows in scripture that shortly before Jesus going to the cross, Peter would actually try to stop Jesus from going to the cross. In fact, so much so that Jesus would even have to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, even on your worst name, I hope Jesus never says that to me. But Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. But then even as Jesus was going to the cross, Peter would deny Jesus three times. In fact, even at that point, if Peter's relationship with Jesus was based on Peter alone, it would have been over. But it would be Jesus who would go send word to Peter after he denied him, after he rose from the dead to say, look, it's time for you to come back. It would be Jesus who would reconcile Peter to himself. It would be Jesus who would forgive him, who would correct him, but would also continue to call him and commission him. And see, Peter knew, look, he did not have hope in himself, but his hope was based in Christ. Church, that is a hope that is secure. That is a hope that no one can ever take away from any of us. It's kind of like what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, where he says, look, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can anyone, what can any person or anything do to me because of what Jesus has done? I will not fear because the Lord is my helper. Author and pastor, Dr. Charles Stanley, kind of says it this way about this verse in Hebrews. He says, look, you need to obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Because your hope is secure and your faith is secure, man, why do you fear? Because your hope is secure and your faith is secure, why do you fear inviting that person to church? Why do you fear what's going to happen to you or what man can do to you where there's nothing that will happen to you that God would not allow to happen in your life? Why do we fear what's going to happen when God promises to give us everything that we need that is based on his record, not our own? In fact, look back at 
verse 3, where we first started, where Peter was talking about that therefore, what he is pointing at, what is therefore. First Peter chapter 3, look again what he said about this hope that is secure in Christ. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, this is a reminder of the gospel, church, that our hope is rested in this good news that Jesus, who is God, came into this earth and died on the cross, paying the price for our sins. But he didn't stop there. He bodily rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave to give us this assurance. And then he also even gives us this inheritance he talks about in verse four. In fact, your life is so secure in Christ that even if the worst thing happens to you, your life on earth ends. And it's actually the best thing for the believer because we get to be with the Lord. And he gives us this inheritance that is imperishable, will never fade, no updates needed. It is undefiled. It will never be broken or destroyed. It is unfading. It is kept in heaven for you who by God's power, it is being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed during that last time when you go to be with Christ. In fact, church, I want to challenge you. I know that right now our economy might go into recession Depending on who you talk to, they might say it's in recession already. And some of you right now, like you've, you have placed your faith, maybe even your hope in all of your finances and your possessions. And you've been thinking about recession, that if recession comes, it's going to ruin you. But I would challenge you, just like Peter just said, to not think about recession, but to think about resurrection. To think about the hope that is secure in Christ to rest your faith in him no matter what it is that happens that you would trust that he is going to get you through whatever it is you're going through. Church, Jesus is coming again. While we wait, he gives hope. It is a hope that brings a sober mind. We can trust him. Well, we can look and see, look, even if we've been believing a lie, man, we can see his truth and make the choice to submit our minds to him. It is a hope that brings a heart that comes to full submission that even when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through, that we can trust that he is going to bring us through. Man, this hope isn't fantasy, but it is a faith that is secure. So our hope is secure in Christ. So as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, I just want to start by asking you the same question that I started with. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? For some of you right now, maybe you are waiting for an answer to the test results. Maybe right now you are waiting to see what the economy is going to do, how that's going to affect your business, your job, your contract. Maybe you are waiting to see what's going to happen in the relationship that you're in. Whatever you are right now where you're waiting, would you put your hope in the Lord? Would you trust him in this season with your mind? with your heart, with your life. And there's some of you who are sitting in this room right now, you have not yet trusted Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life. And maybe you've been in this waiting season. Maybe you've been looking for someone else or something else to save you. Maybe you have looked to another relationship. 
Maybe you look to your future finances or your job, and that would be the thing that would give you the hope that you've been looking for. You've been placing your hope in all these other places, but there's only one place to place, and that is in a relationship with Christ. Would you trust him today as Lord? And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And maybe today you are ready to trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and leader of your life. Man, right there where you are, if this is the day that you want to put your hope in something that will never fade, that will be undefiled, that is incorruptible, that is unfading, that is only through Jesus Christ, today is the day to repent, believe, and receive. To repent of your sin, to believe the good news about Jesus, and to receive him as a Lord and leader of your life. So if that's you today, you're ready to trust Jesus as Lord. Would you just pray this simple prayer right where you are? And again, these words aren't magical, but it's just communicating to the Lord what he's already been drawing your heart toward. Would you just pray, Jesus, save me. Give me that living hope. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, change my life. Today, God, I want to secure my whole life in you. And then if you're sitting in this room today, you've already trusted Jesus as Lord. And maybe you're waiting right now. What is that waiting producing? Is it producing fear or anger or anxiety or worry or loneliness? What is that waiting producing? Man, would you turn your heart and your mind back toward the one that gives you this living hope? Would you trust in him again? Would you surrender to him again? Whatever that thing is that's being produced, push that aside and set your mind on Christ. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that even in the waiting, Lord, you provide hope. God, you did that 2,000 years ago when people were waiting on your first coming, waiting for the Messiah to come. You provided hope. And I pray, God, that right now, even as we wait, God, I pray that you would provide hope to every single person sitting in this room. And Lord, we know that your hope isn't this wishy-washy hope, God. It is a hope that is secure. It is holy. It is good. I pray, God, that we would trust you with everything that we are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's stand and sing one more song.